If you would, take your Bibles again and open them to Romans chapter 2. That's going to be on page 547 in the Bible in front of you. Romans chapter 2. We're actually going to be covering a lot of ground tonight in a short amount of time. We're going to be going through chapter 2 and most of chapter 3. What Paul has been doing in this letter is that he's making the argument that if you're gonna have a, if you're gonna be justified on the last judgment day when all of us will stand before God, if you're gonna be justified, then you need to see that it's not gonna happen because of what you do. Paul, in order to make this argument, is giving us bad news to set up the good news. And so Paul is actually still explaining here what the bad news is. And really at the the second half of chapter 1 is explaining how the Gentiles, with Gentiles anyone who is a non-Jew, so everyone else in the world besides Jewish people, the Gentiles are sinful. Now in chapter 2 he's going to say, but also the Jews are sinful. And then in chapter 3 he's going to summarize by saying all are sinful. That's where we're going. Look at chapter 3. We're going to read all the way from verse 1 to verse 20. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But what if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God? What shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But, but if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are all under sin as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God for by works of the law No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Holy Spirit, we are asking that through the reading and especially the preaching of the word, that you would make it an effectual means of enlightening us, showing us what is true, convincing us about who we really are and and who you really are. And in the process of that, that you would also humble us. Holy Spirit, would you drive us out of ourselves and unto Christ? For as we will see in this text, when we look at ourselves, we will see that we are not righteous, no, not one bit. And we need one who is. Do the miraculous work of saving us tonight. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. You better watch out. You better not cry. There we go, Jaden. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. That's not creepy at all. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So, yeah, be good for goodness sake. Let me guys ask you a question. How do you feel about that last line right there? Be good for goodness sake. Whatever you do, be good. Maybe ask yourself this. When you would sing that as a kid, did you ever think about that? And if you did, what did... What did you think about Santa? Or how about this? Maybe another thing from Christmas. What about the elf on the shelf? Did that scare you? Creep you out? Here's actually one of the things behind the original story of the elf on the shelf. Listen to this. Once everyone goes to bed, the scout elf flies back to the North Pole. Listen to this. To report to Santa the activities, good and bad. Yeah, um, that sounds creepy and scary. You better be good for goodness sake is what it's saying. You see, not all of us are like Angela from the office on performance day. On the performance review day, she said, I actually look forward to performance reviews. I did the youth beauty pageant circuit and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I really enjoy being judged. I believe I hold up very well even to severe scrutiny. You see, rather, the moment anyone disagrees with us on anything, we love to quote Jesus when he said in Matthew 7 verse 1, Judge not that you not be judged. We love to judge other people, but we don't like being judged. See, the reality, though, according to this text, is that God will judge us By our works. He will. Hebrews 9.27 says. And just as is appointed for man. For all of us to die once. And after that comes judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due. For what he has done in the body. Whether good or evil. So in that moment. If you had to be judged right here, right now, what would that judgment of you be? Paul's making the argument that 
Gentiles are sinners and also Jews are sinners. Therefore, everyone is a sinner. We could not just talk about Gentiles and Jews, but we could also say it this way. The irreligious people, the non-religious people are sinners, but so are the religious people. And therefore, everyone is a sinner. This is actually going to be one of those texts that once again is going to dig deep and expose our hearts. And especially for those of us who feel a little too comfortable in our sin right now. Go back to chapter 2. What we need to see first is the nature of hypocrisy. Leave your Bibles open. The nature of hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Well, upon looking up the definition... Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards, but you don't live in light of those. Hypocrisy is when you contradict your words with your actions. Sometimes people ask me often if I'm an Auburn fan because I am from Montgomery, Alabama, which is 45 minutes from Auburn. And I know that the correct answer is I like Auburn. But I'm not an Auburn fan or else real Auburn fans would beat me up. Or how about this other definition for hypocrisy? Debbie Stevens, a 47-year-old divorced mother of two, filed a formal complaint with the New York State Human Rights Commission last Friday. This one article talks about I believe it's from 2012. Listen to this. Claiming her boss used her for her organ. And then fired her because, quote, from her boss, after the woman got what she wanted. My boss, the woman says, just started treating me horribly, viciously, inhumanly after the surgery. It was like she hired me just to get my kidney. No joke. This woman went to donate her kidney for her boss and then got fired because she was not at work. That is hypocrisy. What does hypocrisy do? Actually, look at verse 24 in chapter 2. Paul quoting Isaiah 52 verse 5. He's saying this, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So in other words, when you live hypocritically, people will say, well, Christianity must be nothing. I remember a time... In college, when I was arguing with another Christian while I was at Tulane, and and rightfully so, she was confronting me on a certain lifestyle. But while we were arguing, we were arguing in front of a friend who was not a believer. And my Christian friend was much more humble than I was, and she decided to drop the conversation to, to come back another day. And I kept... You know, being bitter about that conversation in front of my friend. Here's how my unbelieving friend responded. He said, that's why I don't do the whole Christian thing. But how are we hypocritical? That's what chapter 2 is about. is about religious people being hypocritical because religious people are just as guilty. Look at verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, you can hear Paul being sarcastic here, the judge, you practice the very same things. Whenever we're hypocritical or whenever we're judgmental, 
Here's what we're like. Here's, it's like we're saying this. God needs to judge them, but he doesn't have to judge me. God needs to judge them, but he doesn't have to judge me. So what do we judge others for today at OSU? Religious people, self-righteous people, hypocritical people judge others for their drinking, their partying, their pornography use, their smoking weed, their hooking up, cheating on tests, not going to church, not taking Christianity seriously, not practicing Christianity just like we do, not having the same gifts we have, not voting the same way we voted, not knowing everything we know about theology or Certainly, we judge the people who ask dumb questions. Or not standing up for the social issues like we do. Not doing enough to show that you're a Christian. Not conquering a certain sin in the same amount of time that you might have. You might even judge people for being depressed or anxious, saying they don't have enough faith. You might judge someone for the type of schooling they had in high school. Or you might judge someone for their perverse jokes or their crude language or their insensitivity. Or at the end of the day, you judge people because they think they don't need God. Here's here's the problem. Because what happens with self-righteous people is that we judge people and then we do the very same thing. By the way, whenever I go through this list, you know you're hypocritical when you say, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. You see, often what we are like is we're like the person driving down the interstate and someone speeds past us and we say, what an idiot. And then we later on do the same thing. Because here's what we do when we, I'm going to go back through that list. I'm going to show you here's some of the ways in which we might be judgmental, but we still will practice the same thing. We might judge people for their drinking, but then we'll secretly drink so that not a lot of people know what we're doing. We might judge people for partying, having a party lifestyle, but once again, we love to have kind of those small parties so we can still have our fun without people seeing our reputation as not what we want it to be. We judge people for their pornography when actually we also look at pornography, or maybe you don't look at pornography, but you still lust in your heart. Maybe we don't smoke weed, but you numb yourself with entertainment. Maybe you don't struggle so much with hooking up, but you love to condemn others who do. But maybe you do so privately, but you still have lust in your heart. You may not do a lot of cheating, but you do small cheating here and there. You also skip church at times, or even when you show up to church, you're not even showing up to worship God, but you're just really showing up to worship yourself because you care more about what people think about you when you're at church. You don't really take sin seriously. We don't really take sin seriously. We don't practice Christianity like God has told us to because we're turning God into a law-only God. And by the way, whenever we judge, are judgmental towards people who don't have the same gifts as us, we have to realize that we don't have the same gifts as them. Oftentimes, one of the biggest ways we are hypocritical is that we might have some gifts, but we don't have character. I remember a pastor telling me that 
One of the most dangerous things you can have is a lot of gifts and a little grace. What's interesting is that often what self-righteous and hypocritical people do is that whenever they are judgmental about others not knowing as much theology as they know, they forget that the only reason why they know the Bible is because God revealed it to them. Self-righteous and hypocritical people sin by thinking that we're often too mature to delight in just the simple things of the gospel. Self-righteous people and hypocritical people, we have our own social issues that we're passionate about and others that we won't stand up for. We have to remember that we're not doing enough to show that Jesus is a sufficient Savior because rather we would love to show people that we have it all together and we just need a little bit of Jesus. See, one of the things that's very interesting about hypocritical people as well is that they might be very judgmental towards others because they're not overcoming their sin as quick as, as maybe we are, but then we're not overcoming other sins that others have overcome quicker than us. You see, even we have perverse thoughts, hateful thoughts. We're insensitive towards others. And at the end of the day, hypocritical, self-righteous people, we don't think we need God because we have ourselves. You see, we're no different. One of the big things in the news over the last couple of years is about how the Alexa device uh, has been recording some private conversations. And I do think it's, I'm sure we might be paranoid about this, but what about our phones? But imagine this. I want you to imagine this for yourself. Don't imagine this for anyone else. I want you to imagine this for yourself. That what if your phone was listening to everything you were doing, watching everything you were doing, and then this, someone sent you an email that said, we have all that information. All the internet information, even if you tried to go to the incognito tab on Google Drive or whatever it is, or you deleted your history or the things that you accidentally clicked on, the pictures you looked at, the text messages you sent people, the videos you watched, the music you listened to, Even the private conversations of your own home. Don't even forget about the secret thoughts. And imagine if all of that was released. How would you feel? Because even if that happened, it would pale in comparison to how much God sees through you. You see, hypocritical, self-righteous people are like when we're driving at night and we complain about someone's lights being bright when ours are just as bright. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, 2 through 5, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it would be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye But you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Here's what we have to remember about the Christian life. Is that any sign of fruit in our life is only by God's grace. It is by God's grace, not our works. Do you hear me? We love to only quote a portion of Philippians 2, 12 through 13. We love to only quote this portion of it where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We stop there. We say, okay, go work it out. Get into God's gym and work it out. And that's it. And we forget to finish it where it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You could never work out your salvation unless it was God working in you. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? My friends, we are hypocrites. Paul's even given this this explanation to people who had a lot of religious privileges. We see that there was a religious privilege of the covenant sign. You see that verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. They had the covenant sign of circumcision. Well, what is it for us today? Baptism. You see, it was baptism for these New Testament believers, and it comes to us as well, but we do the same thing as those who were circumcised in the Old Testament that we just say, well, I've been baptized, so now I can live however I want. But my friends, we have to remember this about baptism. Baptism, as Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 10, baptism is actually to help us be reminded of what happened when Israel was delivered from Egypt and through the Red Sea. The waters that are poured upon you, the waters of baptism represent two things. That as the Israelites passed through the Red Sea and the waters did not crash down on them, rather they were delivered. Either that will happen to you or... As the waters crashed down upon Egypt's army, those who did not believe in God, either that will happen to you. Your baptism will always come true. But the question is, will you be delivered or will you drown? We have to remember this about Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked Moses to pray to God for him. Pharaoh said that he would respond to God. Pharaoh even confessed his sin and said that God was right and said that the Egyptians were wrong. Pharaoh even promised to let God's people go and he asked for a blessing that Moses would give him. But did Pharaoh believe? No. My friends, we must remember this as well. Is that when the disciples were sitting around Jesus at the very last night, 
And Jesus told all 12 disciples, he said, tonight one of you will betray me. Here's what they did not do. They did not all look at Judas and say, well, this is awkward. What did they do? They said, is it me? Do you know why they did that? They did that because Judas played the hypocrite so well that it looked as if he was the real thing. My friends, have you actually responded to your baptism? Have you actually looked to the one whom your baptism points to? That's what Paul's telling us. He's also saying that one of the things that the Old Testament Jews had was God's law. We can say for us, we have the Bible. We have the Bible, and yet we're still hypocrites. We have the Bible, yet we're still sinners. We don't just have the Bible. We have the Bible on our phone. The, the Bible is more readily available than ever before in the history of the world. Ever before. We have podcasts, we have books, we have devotion books. We have so much literature. And trust me, I am talking to myself as well. But here's the question. Are you responding to what those things are talking about? You see, Paul's even saying this as well, is that you can't even find safety in your own ethnicity or community. You see, the Jews were tempted to say, well, God likes Jews more than he likes Gentiles. And we might be tempted to say something the same thing like this. Well, my ethnicity is the one who God really loves. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. This goes for every ethnicity. So before you begin to say, well, I hope this other group hears this. My friends, once again, if we ever find ourselves saying, well, I hope this other group or this other person needs to hear this. God is telling you, you need to hear this. And that's part of the problem today. We also do this. We also say, well, my nationality is the one that God really loves. But my friend, let me tell you this. If there are any Christians in any ethnicity or in any nationality, it is only because of God's grace. You see, the hypocrites who never run to Jesus for salvation will be consumed on judgment day by God's wrath like a dried up Christmas tree is consumed when you light it on fire. But let me also say this, because here's where we might be. Once again, we might be tempted to say, well, I know some of those self-righteous people who need to hear that. Man, I wish they were here. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to give this podcast. I'm going to send it to them. But my friends, here's one thing we can very easily fall into is that we can often become self-righteous towards the self-righteous. I know of a pastor who was all about complaining about how self-righteous the American church is while at the same time proclaiming that the way he does church is the right way to do it. Don't miss the irony. What do we see in all of this? Go back to verse 6 of chapter 2. He will render to each one according to his works. Boom. He will render to each one according to his works. 
God is an impartial judge for you and for me. God will pay back based on how you and I have lived. You see, in this time of judgment, there's going to be very clear evidence. (laughs) Indeed, it, it will be the most clear evidence that all of our thoughts and words and deeds will be exposed and we will have full conviction in our conscience of knowing that we are guilty. Everything we have tried to ignore, everything we've tried to ignore, God recognizes. Every sin that we have tried to put behind us, God brings before him on that judgment day. Every wicked thought we tried to forget, God does not. You see that in verse 6 right there. He will judge our works. He will. It's not like this. Well, I did my best. It's not like this. Well, it was the thought that counted. My friends, the only thing that counts is if you perfectly, perpetually obey God's law. James 2 verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of all of it. Sinclair Ferguson says that we often look at Jesus like he's some sort of Santa Christ. Santa Christ is a Pelagian Jesus. Like Santa, he just simply asks us whether we've been good. More precisely, since He has the assumption that we're all naturally good. Santa Christ asks us, have you been good enough? But my friends, by our works, we will see we have not. You might be saying, but but once I become a Christian, then I, I live out my faith and I have these works. And then in the final judgment, God will take those works into consideration. Let me tell you, my friends, no, 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 no. Your works never come into consideration of your standing with God. It is either Jesus' works and only Jesus' works for your entire life. Or you dare to depend even one ounce on your own. Your works never contribute to your justification. Ever. Matter of fact, here's what our best works are like. Isaiah 64, verse 6. <clears throat> we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Let me put it to you this way. I had a good mentor tell me this. What's the most worthless thing in the world? A piece of toilet paper on the ground in the bathroom. Why? Because you won't even pick it up and use it. And my friends, that is your best deed. You see, we need to see that God's judgment of us, He will judge us by works. He will. And this is not going to be like a Thanos judgment where it's like just 50% and that's okay. This is full 100%. 
And it's not like anyone can just hide in the crowd and just slip through. It is one by one individual judgment before the God who knows all things. And yet we dare to be judgmental towards others. What is God's judgment of you going to be? That's the nature of hypocrisy. See, Paul's really setting it up here. It's a pretty bleak outcome, right? And that's why he builds up into chapter 3 where he's summarizing all this now. And Look at verse 10. This is where he says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is the nature of depravity. That all humanity besides Jesus Christ, all are under sin. That when the fall happened in the very beginning with Adam, that when he sinned, it affected all of us. And by the way, if you want to say, well, I I can't be guilty for someone else's sin. Adam's sin doesn't affect me. Let me give you a theological implication to that. If you deny the fact that Adam's sin does not affect you, then you're also, by implication, denying the fact that Jesus' righteousness can be yours. Adam's sin affects us, and now we have in in the depths of our being affecting everything about us is what's called original sin. It's it's the internal drive that's rooted within us in the perversity of the sinful nature. This is why Paul will say in Ephesians 2 verse 3 that before Christ, we were children of wrath. Or as one pastor says, we were vipers and diapers. This is what we call the doctrine of total depravity. That every area of our life, in body and in soul, the totality of our being is gripped by the sinful nature. My friends, let me make sure you understand this, especially in today's context. This includes your emotions. This includes your reasoning. This includes your conscience. So just because you don't feel guilty does not mean you're innocent. This is why Paul will say in Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. What can a dead person even do? A question was once asked in a classroom and a guy spoke up finally in the background. He just said, Rot and stink. That's it. Total depravity. My friends, we are not only unable to believe in God, we are unwilling to believe in God. God must come from the outside to enable us to believe. Paul is... I'm sure you can see it by the way it's written in your text and look at the bottom. Paul's quoting the Old Testament like crazy, which, by the way, that's always a reminder here that the Old Testament gospel is the same as the New Testament gospel. They're not different. 
Paul's quoting Psalm 51, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, Psalm 36, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 3, Isaiah 59. And he's saying, look, the Old and New Testaments, they, they agree that this is the way it is. Notice the words that are used here. Paul does not say some are righteous, just a couple, if you tried really hard. No, he uses words like none, no one, all, together. In other words, there are no exceptions to anyone who is born of natural birth from Adam. No exceptions. There's no one righteous, and that's the problem because God is going to judge us. Listen to this. Paul says no one seeks for God. That desire to want this God, the God of the Bible, that desire only comes from God. Verse 18, he says this. This is kind of the, this is like the cherry on top for, for me and humbling me. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. It's interesting because Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It's like Paul saying, hey, you're sinful and you're stupid. And indeed we are. By the way, are you guys tempted to be ashamed of this? Maybe you brought a friend tonight or maybe you've been coming a lot or maybe you thought about inviting a friend and maybe you're sitting here awkwardly and you're like, Gosh, this is the wrong night to bring someone. Are you tempted to be ashamed of this? I, I, I get it. And what, here's what the law speaks to us. Look at verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. Almost literally it says there, so that every mouth might just shut up. And the whole world held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, what Paul is saying here is that the law crushes us. My friends, if the law has never crushed you, then you've probably never understood it. The law does do this. It can restrict sin from being as bad as it could be. We're not utterly depraved. We're totally depraved. We're not as bad as we can be, but the totality of our being is affected with wickedness. And the law, certainly, it does. It restricts us from sinning in ways as bad as we could sin. But you have to hear me here. The law does not save you. It does not save you. The law, in the truest sense of the term, it damns you. And that's the way we should feel when we read this. We should feel crushed, and, but we typically try to respond this way. First response is we try to obey. We try to be good enough and we try to do these strategies and we try to do more Christian activity and maybe we even we try different religions or we put more of an emphasis on our works. That results kind of like this. If I can just 
put it this way. I remember watching a video of a, a very foolish defensive back in football looking at a receiver, and he was clapping at him, and he was saying, come on. And he sat there, and the receiver ran up and just pancaked him, like always happens. Um, it was a run play. See, we often think, come on, God, I can do this. Just give me another start. If I just, if I just really buckle down, I can do this. My friend, the law will sit there and just crush you. The other response we try to do is this. We try to be like Jonah and we run away. We try just ignoring it. We try letting time heal all, even though it won't. We try partying. We try numbing. We try drinking. We try Netflix. We try video games. We try gossiping about others so that we don't have to think about ourselves. We try smoking. We, we try being workaholics because we don't want to sit there at night while we're in bed and we don't want our conscience to be screaming at us, you will be judged. And my friends, that's one of the most loving things I can tell you right now. Just before the death of actor W.C. Fields, a friend visited Fields' hospital room and he was surprised to find Fields thumbing through a Bible and he asked him, what are you doing with that Bible? He said this, I'm looking for loopholes. My friends, there are no loopholes. We will all be judged by works. The question is, whose works? Will it be the works of you? Or will it be the works of someone else? Y'all ready for some good news? Look at verse 21. We'll hit on this more next week. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith, not works, in Jesus Christ. Amen? How can we be judged in a good way? Because of Jesus being the better Adam. The first Adam failed and plummeted all of us into depravity. The second Adam, he succeeded and he raises us from the dead. The first Adam sinned within just a couple hours of his life. The second Adam, he gets to the end of his life and he prays in John 17, 4, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Perfectly, all the time, in thought, word, and deed. Never for a single moment did Jesus Christ ever disobey. Here's what's amazing <clears throat> Jesus Christ has come to save us by Himself, but also this from Himself. Because we know in the Apostles' Creed, he will come again to judge all people. And here's how much he loves sinners. That he wanted to save you from his own wrath by taking it on himself. You see, it's when you get Jesus. Here's what happens as Jerry Bridges says. Therefore, God regards 
all who trust in Jesus Christ as having fully obeyed his law in all its demands. We can correctly say this. Listen to this. In God's sight, when Jesus perfectly obeyed God's law, we perfectly obey God's law. Amen? But only if you believe. It's only as you look to him. It's only as you trust in him. And my friends, I hope you're thirsty for him. Because he's the only way in which we can stand in that judgment. We will be judged by our works, but the question is, whose works? Ours or Jesus? Don't rely on yours. Don't depend on yours. Repent of that and come to Jesus and say, I have nothing in my hands. I'm just simply clinging to you. And that's the Jesus who delights to save sinners. Sinners, my friends. There was a philosopher who said this, man is nothing else but what he makes of himself. I think that's why when we believe that, we have this guilty feeling inside and so we try self-esteem. We will label buried guilt when we just try to forget about it. We'll just label it as mental health issues merely. We look at our sins and we just blame them on our parents. We just want to do whatever we can to say it's not my fault, but my friends. We are not only sufferers, we are also sinners. And we will be judged. Oh, there's great hope, my friends. Because if you believe at this moment in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're asking that you would turn us out of ourselves and unto Christ. That we would be conformed to his image. That our sinful nature would be subdued to his will. That you would strengthen us against temptations and corruptions. That you would build us up in his grace. And that you would establish our hearts in holiness and comfort. All of this through faith that comes from hearing your word. We ask all these things and many more in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.